I'm Dr. Tagrid, your friendly child psychiatrist. And this is a space for young people, families, and professionals who want to understand neurodiversity and mental illness better. I'm here to help you make sense of the most complex of issues in the simplest of ways. Let me walk you through topics that are important to you, from autism to trauma and from depression to self-harm. In this podcast, I'll bring you expertise, explain the science and equip you with practical tips and knowledge. Join me, Dr. Tagrid, your friendly child psychiatrist, for 30 minutes every Wednesday on all listening platforms. Hi, this is Dr. Tagrid again. We are talking about sleep problems in people with neurodiversity, people with ADHD, ASD, and learning disabilities and learning difficulties. And today I've got with me a colleague of mine, uh, an expert in sleep, Dr. Hossam Mary. You are a, an adult psychiatrist and you are also an expert somnologist. Tell everyone hi and uh, tell them what that means. Thank you very much for inviting me to uh, your lovely podcast. Um, thank you. And uh, so, yes, I'm a general adult psychiatrist and I have gained some interest in sleep medicine. And eventually I have completed a degree in sleep medicine, which certifies me to be officially what they call a somnologist um, or a sleep, um, an expert in sleep um, from the European Sleep Research Society. So what do sleep experts do? So it, it looks generally into the whole aspect of sleep medicine. So part of it is obviously psychiatry and the issues that we can see in psychiatry, whether we identify that this is the problems or not. But part of it were traditionally or still being seen by mostly um, respiratory physicians, obstructive apnea and um, um, sleep breathing related problems, which is a wide range of, of issues, or by neurologists who weird and bizarre movement in sleep, which could potentially be epilepsy, could potentially most commonly are other things or narcolepsy or hypersomnia, or meaning sleeping far too much for no clear reason. So all of these illnesses, one chapter of it or one part of it is insomnia, uh, which we might talk about a little bit today, which can happen even in children, but other things as well that can be quite confused with insomnia, which means not being able to sleep at night, is things like what you described as inverted before in, in our conversations, inverted sleep pattern, or what we might call or sleep medicine doctor might call, circadian sleep rhythm problems, sleeping at times when others are, are awake or being awake at times when others are um, asleep. Um, so it's a wide range of things, pretty much all related to sleep. And a lot of it is actually related to how you function during your awake time, which could be affected by your sleep. Let's dive right into it. Today, we're going to talk about what kind of sleep problems people can expect with uh, when they have um, ASD or ADHD or learning difficulties, and that includes in children. And we're going to talk a little bit, just tip the hat to why that might happen. We're also going to talk about what kind of help is out there for people with sleep problems, especially those with neurodiversity. So we're going to talk about medication. We're going to talk about behavioral interventions and other sorts of interventions that might be used. And let's start with what kinds of problems we can expect when we have someone who has ADHD or ASD. And Hazem, I'm gonna tell you what I see in my clinic. I work with people up to the age of 18. And that's what I see often with people who have ASD or ADHD or learning difficulty. The most common problem is when people um, cannot sleep at night. They just cannot settle 
into bed. And that means that they can sleep on time and they cannot wake up on time and they cannot get to school or college or what have you. And if they do happen to go to these places, they're exhausted, they're tired, and it builds into a whole loop. Sometimes that just happens alone. And sometimes it leads to what we discussed earlier was inverted sleep rhythm, where people just have a nightlife, just night owls, they do everything at night, and then they just want to be in bed all day. So that's what I see. What do you see in this group of people? What is, what is out there? So in, in my expertise, I see a lot of very similar to what you see. Maybe by the time they came to me, there are lots more pressures in life. And so I see a lot of not, I'm not able to fall asleep in time. By the time I see them in adult and general adulthood, it's mostly the complaint is everyone keep telling me that I need, I've never, ever slept early in my life. I would go sleep by two or three o'clock in the morning, but now I have work in the morning and I have to go. So I go to bed, I lie in bed from 10 o'clock or from 11 o'clock or nine, even sometimes even. And I just sit there in bed until I fall asleep at two or three or four in the morning. And this is very frustrating. And then I wake up again um, and then I'm not able to sleep. And then I fall asleep and then I woke up and I'm, I'm very, very tired and sleepy during the day and I'm sleepy during the job. Uh, that's pretty much a lot um, of what I would, would see. Um, whether this is within the context of ADHD or within the context of any other mental illness or even as a standalone in, in, in neurodiversity or, or as a standalone in, in, in uh, neurotypical people who might have problems with sleep. That's a lot of what I would work with. Yeah. What is that about then? It's, um, it's, a, it's a very, very wide question. It's very, it's, it's akin in sleep medicine. I cannot sleep at night is akin to the complaint of I have pain. It can mean lots of things. Yes. A pain, it can mean lots of things. It's a symptom, uh, not sleeping at night. In, if we want to delve into that, and then I, in neurodiverse um, people, there are obviously different categories, but some of the things that are quite common. So for example, children with ADHD or adults with ADHD quite commonly have something that we would call delayed circadian rhythm. Circadian is the 24 hour cycle of anything. And then a circadian rhythm can be nocturnal or diurnal. A nocturnal rhythm is one that you'd see in owls, bats and whatnot, where people, where these creatures function better at night. In human beings, most of the species can function better during the morning, which is the diurnal rhythm. And which means that all of the hormones in your body that, um, that enable your body to function, your attention to be focused, your ability to um, to perform um, um, motor duties and like move your body and do things. Everything is set like that. So what you're telling me is that a lot of people who are neurodiverse can experience a delayed circadian rhythm, which means that they still function better during the morning, but they're a bit late. The timing when they go to sleep, when their brain wants to go to sleep is later. They don't have problems in staying asleep most of the time, as long as they fall asleep at their own accord. So if we say by 10 o'clock, eight hours, you wake up six in the morning and you should be feeling fresh enough, relaxed, able to function, might take you some time until you wake up 15 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes maximum is kind of considered okay and then you're able to function. People with delayed circadian rhythm would not be able to fall asleep even, let's say, 
by midnight, by one o'clock, by two o'clock, by three o'clock. Their, their hormones, um, the, the sleep regulation hormone does not kick in in time. A good way of knowing whether you have insomnia or circadian sleep rhythm is to do sleep diaries, including children. And it signifies what time you go to bed or what time you turn the lights off and what time do you fall asleep. And usually during school time or during work, normal working days, they have to wake up. We kind of record what time did they have to wake up? How did they feel then? But a good indicator is on a weekend or if you're on a holiday, what, what time would you naturally fall asleep and what time would you naturally wake up? And you can see, you see children, even children, teenagers, saying, I'm going to sleep, I'm falling asleep by two o'clock in the morning. Um, I'm waking up really, really tired at six o'clock in the morning. I just cannot sleep earlier than that. Um, and then a weekend comes and they sleep four and they wake up at, let's say, midday. And they're happy, they're refreshed. Their sleep is solid. Um, they get well, eight hours or nine hours. So from that sense, it's not considered insomnia. It's not considered a sleep difficult problem. It's a sleep timing problem which is quite common in people with ADHD. Up, almost up to 70% of people with ADHD would have sleep. Lots of them would have sleep problems even before they are ever diagnosed. Now, our learning and our understanding of neurodiversity is very, very young, isn't it? We know very little about brains and why they are neurotypical and why they become neurodiverse, what that looks like. Do we really know? Is that, I mean, we have a lot of theories. There are some theories. There is a theory about the neurotypical, particularly in the neurodiverse, um, that there is, so neurodiversity in, in some studies, they are associated with certain genes. And there is a theory that these genes, um, one of them is called clock genes or some of them, a group of genes called the clock genes. And these are related to the regulating of sleep and um, of circadian rhythm in the body, I think, because of these related, again, to neurodiversity. So they might affect the genes that are responsible for us to being basically aligned to our sleep and awake pattern. Because circadian, um, circadian rhythm is a wider pattern than just sleep. There are lots of body functions that relate on day and night. There are things that our brain would, there are hormones that are, would be secreted at night that wouldn't be secreted during the day. Regardless of sleep or not, there are functions of the body, the way the digestive system works, the way the respiratory system works, and um, the way we uh, fight um, certain infections that just happens at night, doesn't happen in the day in the same way. So circadian rhythm is a, a wide term, applies to lots of body functions. Sleep is one of them as well, or one major indication. But that's helpful, I think, to understand that actually sleep and wakefulness is not just about sleep and wakefulness. It's about your whole body is running on a clock. And part of that is how your body moves its effectiveness, how you understand, um, how you communicate, how you actually on a molecular level fight infections and, and function on the immune side and, and fight cancer and fight everything. So, so it's not just sleep and wakefulness we're talking about. We're talking about a, a complete difference in how these bodies um, interact with the world, with the environment, with night and day in comparison to someone who uh, is on a normal diurnal circadian rhythm, wakes up normally in the morning, sleeps at night, that kind of thing. And I, I imagine a lot of neurotypical people have the same delay because I can tell you for sure that I am on a delayed, on a delayed rhythm. Are you? 
so there is there is um obviously there is the, quite has been there since almost the 50s i think the study was um about night owls and morning larks and it's quite a common are you a morning lark or, or a night owl there is actually a study that people can uh, uh, um not a study what do you call it a questionnaire um and it's basically what type of person you are you're more likely to be an evening person function better evening times and then um or a morning very very early morning and there is so there is a personal variation in that it becomes a disorder like anything when there is an effect of functionality a person with what I might call or what you might call inverse sleep rhythm or a circadian, delayed circadian sleep rhythm, who, which we do see those types of clients who has molded his life in a certain way. They work as a DJ. They work in a restaurant. They work in a pub. They work in, a, in an industry that does not really um, need them to wake up early in the morning. They function perfectly fine. They work, they do well, they're awake, they, they function, their concentration is fine. And they go to bed, God knows, three, four, five o'clock in the morning, and wake up by midday, one, two o'clock in the afternoon, and they function fine. They don't have a sleep problem, interesting. Yeah, but this is their circadian rhythm. There is, I mean, we can get into that later, but there is an evolutionary value in that kind of in, in tribes where you couldn't really have, it wouldn't be very good for the survival of the tribe or of the group if everyone slept in the same time. So some people would stay awake and this is kind of where the evolutionary value of having different awake and sleeping times. And you can tell because you can tell that that's normal or a disorder if it doesn't affect functioning. So if the person is on top of their mood, they're doing well, they're eating well, they're uh, functioning well. And often we see that in shift workers is that some shift workers just absolutely struggle and some of them do very well. They know, oh, okay, so on that day, this is when I eat my breakfast. This is when I eat my lunch and this is my dinner and I exercise and I do this and my mood is fine and I manage having social relationships and they just manage their life around yeah. that kind of thing. Whereas some shift workers will have like, just this will wreak havoc all over their mental health and their lives. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But in reality is so because circadian sleep rhythm starts a little bit earlier than you 20 or 30 or 40 or, you know, 18, there is always a time when those children will struggle for school because there is no afternoon schools. We don't do that. We, um, there are lots of schools for delayed, particularly in teenagers, for high schools that they start later because they normally, lots of teenagers, regardless of ADHD, the neurodiverse or not, uh, would fall into delayed circadian sleep rhythm by nature, normally. It's a part of their brain development. They would just fall asleep later and wake, asleep, wake, wake up later. Add to this all of the social pressures, add to this, use the phone at nighttime, add to this gaming or texting or being on the phone, or being on social media, all of these things add to these, and they're just fuels and a, a problem that is already there. Someone just wouldn't be able to fall asleep nine or 10 o'clock and they will fall asleep naturally if there's nothing else happening by midnight. And okay, now we can live and survive on six hours might not cause them much of a problem. Add to this social media, texting, I don't know, TikTok, God knows what, um, 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 video games, all these sorts of things. And that will just until two or three or four o'clock in the morning. Um, so so that's, that's one aspect, which is the circadian sleep rhythm or the, what we would call, and it's a disorder, delayed circadian sleep rhythm. Um, if it becomes really, really a problem, really the, the child really struggles to fall asleep, earlier than that. Um, there are lots of behavioral things that we can do until we test uh, 
we reach this. It's not a very common disorder. It's a very common symptom. I fall asleep late. We don't rush into calling this a disorder until lots of things has been tried. Lots of behavioral things has been tried. Um, lots of uh, uh, interventions have been tried. And if it's, it is delayed circadian sleep rhythm, then there's a combination of what they call melatonin and phototherapy. And it kind of starts into looking into when is the time they calculate sleep. A physician would calculate the times when they naturally fall asleep. When do they naturally wake up? Uh, they calculate um, something called the DLMO, um, dim light melatonin uh, levels, uh, which happens typically about two hours after they fall asleep naturally. And then a, a very well orchestrated treatment regimen of melatonin at times to induce earlier melatonin and early morning light. Sometimes we use phototherapy, so like light boxes and things like these to help shift the circadian rhythm. So to, to start that, that regimen b- before you get to that point, because that sounds like a lot of work and a lot of expense as well, but the, the cheaper version of that, where we start, for example, at a, in, in our world of children, young people, we start number one, like you said, with a sleep diary. So getting in a hold of what the sleep pattern looks like. And then number two is we start putting in and educating around sleep hygiene. And, and we're going to talk a little bit in our next talk about what sleep hygiene means, what kind of interventions in detail are out there. But at what point do you introduce medications like melatonin? So melatonin is evidence-based for circadian sleep rhythm. It, the problem is it's not a very common, for circadian sleep rhythm in particular, is not a very common illness, actually. Most of the ones that we see that comes to us saying, oh, I sleep very late, I wake up very late. Um, you discover that it's a lot about behavioral problems or what we call behavioral insomnia, they call it in children, there is to be a, a name for it. Um, so it's a lot about, and these kind of tend to improve the moment we introduce the, the behavioral interventions for adults, insomnia, in which melatonin is not helpful. If circadian sleep rhythm was evidence, and this is, this is what we're sure or more likely that this is the illness, um, so melatonin is used. Interestingly enough, melatonin for circadian problems is used in a far smaller doses than the commonly prescribed. We prescribe two, three, four, sometimes up to six and ten milligrams of melatonin. Melatonin for circadian shift, we're talking between half a milligram and two milligrams. Um, all what you need for a circadian shift to to basically move the, the clock. So obviously a, a slow burner takes a little bit of time until it happens. And you combine it with, with what we call chronotherapy or light therapy, which is a part of the treatment is exposure to light during the day and minimizing exposure to light, any type of light, essentially, almost. That's very similar to the sleep hygiene measures that we advise. For example, we tell people that make sure that your house, especially in the winter months that we're going through right now, everything is dark all the time. We make sure, please make sure your house has warm lamps, not fluorescent. Make sure that it's well lit during the day and a couple of hours before your bedtime where everybody just is ready to go to bed. Try to quiet down these lights. Use indirect lighting. Everything needs to slow down in terms of how we speak, in terms of what we're watching on TV. Don't go and watch, you know, very intense Marvel action hero movies at like 8 p.m. with the fluorescent lighting and everybody getting ready to eat steak. Don't do that. I mean, try to make everything just sleepy by that time so that your brain is signaled that this is the end of business. This is the end of your business day. And then when you go to bed, 
everything needs to be darker. You try not to access any any white light. So for example, even if you have to use your phone, you put on your filter where it filters the white light to a degree. Try to, um, even if you have to access your phone, don't access anything that requires a lot of mental effort or is habitual. So for example, scrolling through your Facebook at night is a really bad idea. You want to be listening to something you know, nice on, listen to this podcast is boring enough. It'll put you to bed. <laughs> like, you know, something that's just quiet signals your brain. But this, what you're talking about is a more intense version of this, where it's more coordinated. You're using external um, equipment to provide that that light therapy, you're using that in coordination with melatonin in certain doses and a lot of monitoring. So this is like the intense pro version of sleep hygiene. Yes, in quite in 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 a large sense, and we then have a, a treatment targets. How much are we going to shift this week? How long can we shift? Um, um, and shifting because what you want eventually at the end of this process is that a person who more or less is capable of sleeping or falling asleep, let's say by midnight or by even two o'clock in the morning. Sometimes this is the target in comparison to I just cannot fall asleep before six o'clock in the morning. And it's, it's meant for people to kind of help them with the functioning and, 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 and because they are struggling, it's, it's, they're struggling with the functioning, struggling with schools, they're struggling. And so that's why we, we generate tests for studying sleep rhythm. Usually we prefer it in, in kind of holidays and, and summertime or school holidays because you can see their natural sleeping times. That was really, really helpful, Hassan. And what I want to do is try to summarize everything that we'd said. And I'd love to have you again to talk about, uh, I think our next one, we're going to talk about more general sleep problems. We're going to talk about sleep meds and we're going to talk more in details about uh, sleep interventions. But today, this talk was really helpful for me, to be honest. And I want to summarize to everyone what we talked about. So we talked about sleep problems in um, in neurodiverse people. And it looks like the most common one is insomnia and delayed circadian rhythm. And we talked about why that is, which the short answer is, we don't know. And we talked about what interventions might be helpful. We talked about melatonin. We talked about sleep uh, hygiene. And we talked, we talked about the more um, fancy kind of therapy for that, which includes light therapy and includes uh, detailed kind of calculations and the use of melatonin in tandem with that. And, and I would say if someone is listening to this and they are struggling with this, I'd say your first step is to do a sleep diary for at least a week. Thank you very much, Hossein, for today. Thank you very much. It has been a pleasure. Looking forward to, um, to see you again. Thank you for joining me today. Remember to check the show notes for helpful resources and support. If you enjoyed listening, Subscribe to our channel and get notified about the latest episodes. This is Dr. Tagrid, wishing you well.